please, if you would, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, uh, we start in verse 22, and if you're visiting, um, we like to work through, generally, we like to work through books um, in this class, so we started in John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, we finally made it to chapter 6, verse 22, and we pick up our story, and this is God's word, John 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. When they said to him, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Um, and let's, uh, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Uh, let's pray. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, my father uh, grew up in a very poor family. Um, his, they, they lived in Bangor, Michigan, not Bangor, Maine, Bangor, Michigan, and uh, his dad worked in Chicago and would come home on weekends, and it was just a very poor upbringing. There were five kids. Uh, the four boys slept in one bed, and uh, it was like that for, for many years. And um, they ha- apparently had lots of ear infections when they were young that were never tended to. And so uh, one, one of them is dead. Uncle Aaron's dead. But my dad, Uncle David, Aunt Claudia, and Uncle Gary are all still alive, and they're both, they, all four of them have double hearing aids. Uh, so... Talking to them is kind of difficult. They all have the double hearing aids. And what's cool about them is they still, they have a sibling's lunch once a month. And they have done this for several years now, which is pretty cool. So the, the, the living siblings get together for lunch. And my mother has observed this. And she said, Jim, it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. Um, they're all having this conversation. And none of them can hear the other one. And it's not the same conversation. It's four of them. And they're all engaged, and they're all hearing. They think they hear the other one, and they're all responding, but it's just uh, they're, they're, they're missing the point. All, all four of them are off point the entire lunch. Well, if you want to know what I think the big idea is here today that we should walk out with is this. All materialistic notions miss the point of living. You know, all humans um, are living their own conversations so that their own interpretation constitutes life, right? So they observe life, we observe life, we're making determinations about what makes life real and so on. Jesus came here to talk about true life, eternal life. In verse 27, it says that we're to labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus is talking about the real thing, the real point, being on point concerning the topic of life. He came to offer us the real thing. And by the way, on this this, uh, this uh, big idea here, I 99.9999 write my own every time. 
This one I've borrowed very heavily from a commentator named Gordon Ketty. He, he writes this, um, all materialistic notions miss the point. And he wrote that kind of in the middle of an application, but I saw that and I was like, man, that is powerful. All materialistic notions miss the point of living. I'm trying to apply it uh, to the overarching uh, theme of this passage. Now, that's not to say that we are in an idealistic theology, a sentimental theology where, where everything that's touchy is touchy-feely and spiritual is good and material bad. Oh, body's bad, earth bad. We're not in that kind of a system. All right. Neither are we in a materialistic system where um, a deductive system where we say, oh, well, uh, you know, the, the only things that can be verified are, the, are, are that that's the only reality that there can be. There can't be anything unless it's verifiable. We're not in either one of those things. The point is what Jesus is talking about is the core of what it is to live, the core of being a human being. He's talking about life that is truly life, as Timothy would, Paul would say to Timothy in uh, chapter 6 of Timothy, uh, the stuff that actually makes life meaningful. That's Jesus' point here. So if you want to know what life is all about and what makes life meaningful, Jesus is about that business, and that's what he's talking to, about here. All right, let's go to our first point, which is stale bread. Now, we pick up our story. Uh, after Jesus had sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. So if, if you're looking at the map here and here's the Sea of Galilee, they were here. He sends them here, well, here. And um, so uh, he does that. Uh, he goes up on a mountain. He retreats to a mountain to pray. And uh, a big storm comes in at night in the, in the fourth watch around three in the morning. And Jesus walks out to them. He performs this miracle by coming to them. And he sees them safely to the other side and so on. So he performs miracles and um, he delivers them to the other side. But in, the, in that scene right there is tucked into a, a greater storyline, which is continuing, which is, um, uh, returning to our regular programming here, he's, in, in verse 22, it says, on the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea. It's the next day after Jesus fed the 5,000. So at the top of, of chapter six, Jesus uh, sees these people who have come to him. They've, they come because of the signs that he's done. And uh, it gets late in the day. And uh, he, he has compassion for them, and he produces bread out of just a very small amount, and he performs this miracle, all right? The people remember the miracle. They're still looking for Jesus on the next day. The disciples have gone across on a boat. They're still searching for Jesus. Now, so we pick up the story. Look at verse 22. The next day, the crowd remained on the other side. Beth saw that there had been only one boat. <coughs> Jesus had not entered it. The disciples had gone away. <coughs> other boats come. And they chase after Jesus, and they take boats, and they get to the other side. Excuse me a second while I choke. Hold on. So that's the scene. And we pick it up then in verse um, 25. I'm dying here. Hang on. Does anybody know the Heimlich? Um, So not not much commentary is needed here, except to say that Jesus is going to change the narrative. Um, In chapter 7, verse 66... It says, after this, uh, Jesus, um, yet many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus is continuing this narrative. It's going to end with people leaving Jesus because he keeps speaking so directly. So that's the story arc that we're in the middle of. He's performed this miracle. The people keep coming. Bread and the miracle that he performed is still uh, on the the stove there uh, on the top of the, on the top of the, hang on a second, the subject Um, So tuck those things away. We go to verse 25. They find Jesus 
on the other, oh, thank you. They find Jesus on the other side of the lake. And they say, Rabbi, (laughs) somebody get me a pancake? They say, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? Now, that's a very specific question. They see Jesus, they, they finally come to him, and they, they start to collect around him again. They say, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, a very specific question. I mean, they have observed him. They saw that uh, the disciples got on the boat. Jesus didn't go on there, uh, and so on. And so they're picking up on the fact that, uh, wow, it's pretty amazing that Jesus is here. Uh, this sounds kind of miraculous and otherworldly like this other stuff we've been hearing, and they've already kind of named him a prophet. They know that there's some kind of spiritual... Um, spiritual power going on, um, and um, Jesus doesn't even flinch. They ask him a specific question. Rabbi, when did you come here? I mean, it's amazing. Is it more magic? Is it more magic? How did you get here? And Jesus totally doesn't answer them. He says, rather, in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You remember that why he was on a boat at all. He was on a boat because uh, in verse 15, it said that they, they, uh, he perceived that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. And uh, Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. Uh, he didn't want to have um, an earthly presidency. He didn't want to have fans. Uh, he didn't want popularity and good poll results. That's not what he was trying to do, was get himself up in the, in the, uh, in the political uh, leadership list. That's not what he was doing. He came to set up a spiritual kingdom, and so he retreats when they try to force him into a physical one. That's the whole point, this materialistic thing. Now, application for your life. It's easy to look back on these ancient people and look down on them a little bit. In fact, preachers like to preach that way. Oh, if only they would have just paid attention to Jesus. Oh, Peter. And uh, they kind of turn, turn um, people from uh, ancient cultures into caricatures. Um, yeah, they kept getting it wrong. And from afar, we can see that they had a superficial interest in Jesus. It's true. But don't judge too quickly. Um, do we look to the material? That's Jesus' beef. He's saying, look, no, no, no. You're thinking about um, Roman rule and how you'd like to get out of Roman rule. You don't like the governmental system. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to fix the governmental system. Um, I'm here to fix the spiritual problem between God and man, the greater governmental system of all things. I'm here to restore human beings to the God who made them. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now, do we look to the material in our own lives? Yes, we do. Um, is personal fulfillment found in the material? No, it is not. You know, I'm straying from my notes a little bit, but I, I remember when I worked at Duncan Williams, uh, I was in the investment business for, business for four years. I was not very good. Now I'm in the ministry. Um, and, um, but I, I worked there, and there was this guy named Steve Blockman. And Steve Blockman, everybody called him Blockhead. And uh, Blockhead was smart. He knew how to talk to customers. He was old. And he would see new guys come in, and he kind of sidled up to him and say, hey, listen, if you get a real hot customer, and uh, you know, this is when savings and loans were in business, and you get a, like a hot savings and loan, and they like to day trade, um, and you're a little intimidated, bring them to me. I'll do all the effort, and I'll split the ticket with you. And that's what he did. He cold called by getting a business from the dumb salesman. Well, this one dumb salesman who didn't know anything had struck it rich. He found these two guys that day traded every day. They worked on a 64th of, he worked on a 64th of a point. And I would watch Blockhead 
come to this guy's desk every day, and he would drop a $3,000 ticket on his thing, of which they split 40%. And then he'd drop another $5,000 ticket on his desk, and he'd drop a $10,000 ticket on his desk. And, I mean, it was just the money was pouring in every day. This guy was making, he was making thousands and thousands and thousands of, a, a month. He started buying water skis. He, I mean, what single guy owns two brand-new cars? He had two brand-new cars. He started buying antiques. He owned a couple of horses. I mean, he just went nuts. And we just watched him every day buying things and buying things and buying things. Then he'd get bored and he'd buy something else. And he'd get bored and buy, buy something else. And it was a life lesson for me. It was a life lesson. Now, I'll say this too, straying from my notes. It's a life lesson. Um, I confess I am still learning and haven't learned well. Um, you know, if, you're, if, you've made a, if you've made a million dollars before you go into the ministry, you're a rock star. And people fawn all over you. They go, oh, he left all that. Oh, to come in here, he's so wonderful. What a wonderful, he left all that to come here. But if you came in here as a schmo, which is how I came in, uh, there's still a part of you that goes, ah, I wish I had this thing in the pool and a this and a this. There's still a part of you that goes, yeah, I know that all this is true. But, you know, really, I'd probably be a little happier if I had some stuff, you know? I mean, that, that tension's still there. I confess it to you. It's not healthy. But I'm telling you, don't we chase after the material? We do. Even if you have lots of material stuff, you want more material stuff. You know, people with money go, well, that's, I don't have money. That's real money. And those people go, oh, I don't have real money. That's real money. Where, where is it? Where do we find our value? Um, if it's not in spiritual things, it is stale bread. That's the point. Um, when, when, uh, when, and furthermore, when one doesn't have a lot of material goods, that gnawing thing can be the same temptation, only coming at it from a different uh, direction. But it's all stale bread. If we feel um, like we domineer over people, if we feel like we're inferior to people, if we feel superior to people, if we feel indifferent to some people, if we are defenders of some people we find important and we're respecters of person, those all have to do with the material world, and Jesus is not about the material things. Placing all kinds of value on earthly things uh, doesn't interest God in the least. Um, As far as the gospel of Jesus Christ is concerned, um, your crummy little art project of the soul that you present to God, um, is it going to impress him? And in the context of the gospel, don't be looking at the material world to say, well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've checked this box, and this box, and this box, and I think I'm a pretty good person. God ain't impressed with it. Christ came to set up a spiritual kingdom whereby sinners who are separated from God by their sin can be reconciled to him because the sin has been dealt with on the cross in perfect justice. All right, next point. Fresh bread. Look at verse 27. Um, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, we'll pause there for a second. The first half of that verse is very strong on its own. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but um, labor for the food that endures to eternal life. You know, uh, just in that first half of that statement of Jesus, it paints a very clear picture. You either have a person who's in in a category of perishing, right? Or a person who's in a category of eternal life. 
Those are two very different things, very different things on a spectrum. And it sounds a lot like um, something that uh, we read a, a couple chapters ago, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's the same thing that Jesus has been preaching. There are only two kinds of people. There's people in this category and people in this category. And people, Jesus came to die on the cross so that people could move from this category to this category. Now, if we learn anything today at all, we can, we can learn that the Bible is not unclear about what happens after this life. You're either in a situation of perishing or eternal life. Jesus goes on to say something pretty amazing about himself in verse 27 then. He says, um, all of it, don't labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Now, some of your translations may say um, God certified or um, God confirmed or God solemnly declared. The point is that that God authenticated. He's saying, Jesus here, that no other proof is needed. You, you, you saw what I did with the loaves. So now believe. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Want an application for your life? Believe it. Believe in this Christ. He has shown you enough about himself to say, I I am the son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe on the son, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. It's very clear, and and Jesus Jesus proves his divinity by by exercising control over this this ordered natural world. So believe in an unfettered way. You know, um, faith in any degree whether it's coming to the cross for the first time and saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me, my personal sin uh, against a personal God. You personally died to pay for my personal sin before a personal God. When you do that, um, it is nothing less than a complete trust fall. And then in small things in life, when you're worried over a thing, when you're troubled over a thing, when you wake up and your heart is already in turmoil before you've even looked at your phone. Um, you, um, faith is the same thing. When you're on the pillow and you're trying to drift off and you can't let go of this thing because it's, it's, it's nagging you. Um, it's, faith is nothing more than a, the, a total trust fall. Uh, if you, if you, know, you know the trust fall like on a ropes course or maybe the nesty plunge when they plop in the pool or now you got um, uh, Matthew McConaughey on a Lincoln commercial in a suit. But falling backward like that, trust fall, all faith works that way. Just like the rich young ruler, just like the baggage of Nicodemus, just like the person here today who says, uh, I really don't think I'm that bad. You got a sin problem. Faith is a trust fall into the saving arms of Jesus. You know, uh, here's the problem with sin. I went on a uh, backpacking trip uh, as a counselor, camp counselor back in high school. Um, I, think it was a, I think it was a graduated senior, and I was 
like on boys camp or something. We have this, this hiking trip uh, up in Upper Michigan. And uh, we, had, we had just enough food to have uh, eggs for dinner. All right, so we had these eggs in these plastic containers, and we made up some eggs. And these little boys are running around, you know, third grade. They were just cute as can be. Their backpacks were so giant and huge and dragging on the ground. Plus, they were old-timey backpacks, you know, musty and heavy and terrible. And um, so we got camp set up. We've got just enough eggs to feed them uh, that night. And so we've got this big, giant pan full of eggs, and they were stirring it and stirring it and stirring it. Well, there's this one, like, crazy kid. And uh, he was wild, and you couldn't simmer him down, and he was running all over the place. And anyway, the eggs were almost done. He runs near the fire, and he does one of these (laughs) baseball slide deals, and this dirt just goes, (laughs) like a lot of it, all in the eggs. And there was nothing we could do. It was like, oh, well, here, kids, you know? (laughs) I mean... Plus, it was a bunch of dudes, you know, their moms weren't around, so it was like, hey, here's some dirty, gritty eggs. But uh, those other little third-grade boys, they, they kept him, they made him stand in the water, and they guarded the shore, and he was like, I can't feel my feet. You know, Lake Superior's freezing. I can't feel my legs. They would not let him out, uh, and we let him do that for a while, too, because anyway, <laughs> but the point is, you can't get all that dirt and sand out of the eggs, man. That's the problem of sin. See, we go, oh, well, I really don't think I'm that bad. You know, I did some stupid things in the past, but I'm kind of sorry for them. And plus, that person died anyway. (laughs) Can't accuse me. And uh, uh, and you look at your life and you go, I've tried to be as best good a person as I can. The problem is the whole thing's full of dirt and sand. That's the sin problem. If God is absolutely perfect and you got dirt and sand in your eggs and it's all mingled throughout, that's a sin problem. Um. So, um, let's, look at our, let's look at our last, um, did I skip my last point? I think I did. Uh, I did. Oh, we're on the work of God right now. Hey, so, let, let, let's look at our last verse here. Here it is, here it is. Uh, verse 28. Uh, they say, what must we do um, to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. They go, we want to work at it. Uh, tell us what to do so we can fix the problem, Jesus. And Jesus says, you want, to work? you want to know who's doing the work? God's doing the work. It's the work of God. You know what you need to do? Believe. Believe what God is doing. That's the message. Uh, Jesus, being certified by the Father is enough. Jesus, performing miracles that he performed, it's enough. Uh, trusting in Jesus is trusting in God as Savior. That's what salvation is. It is never turning a faith equation into a math equation. Um, they're going to go on. We're going to about talk about it next week, but I'm just going to give, give you a heads up. They, they, what they say next is, oh, do that bread thing again, Jesus. Do another trick. Listen, that was great. And you're here kind of under mysterious circumstances with the boat and the night, and we don't really know how you got here. It's kind of kind of wild, but I'll tell you what. You want us to believe in the work that God is doing? Flip out another trick, and uh, that'll seal it for us to do it. And Jesus will not do it. You know why he won't do it? Because you can't turn a faith equation into a math equation. If it's a math equation, all you did was add all up the numbers, and you go, you know what? That makes sense to me. 
I think I can go ahead and buy into that because I've used my brain. Faith is believing that which is unseen. And Jesus has given enough proof to these people and to you and me. Last thing. Um, I've I've been saving this article. I I found it in a book, and um, I've apparently have had it since July 21st, 2015. And it's the New York Times. I don't know where I got a copy of the New York Times. It was probably laying there somewhere, and I picked it up at a doctor's office and saw this article, and I was like, ah, this is hot. I'm going to keep this. Anyway, it's a story about um, a certain kind of a beetle, all right? So ants build a nest, all right? And uh, they build a home and all that, and this beetle wanders into that home. Now, here's what it says about this. this, It's called the parasitic ant nest beetle, all right? An ant colony is an insect fortress. When enemies invade, soldier ants quickly detect the incursion and, uh, uh, and rip their foes apart with their oversized mandibles. Wow. So if a, if a bug of any size walks into an ant nest, they are like, here we go, and they tear their legs off and eat them. Not the parasitic ant nest beetle. You know why? The parasitic ant nest beetle um, makes three distinct sounds that, that uh, mimics uh, the three different castes in the ant nest, uh, soldiers, workers, and the queen. Each, each makes a different sound, and the ant nest beetle can mimic that sound. The ant nest beetle has these kind of like big juicy antennae and it squirts out chemicals that, that seem just like the ants. And the ant nest beetle, uh, they wave their antenna in ways that the ants recognize. So you know when you see them walking and they're like, hey, hey buddy, how you doing? Hey buddy, you know how they do that? Hey man, how you doing? Hey, high five. You know, they do that little connection thing. The ant nest beetle's playing right along, playing right along the ant nest beetle. Check it out. Adult ant nest beetles stride into an ant colony in search of a mate without being harassed. They lay eggs from which larvae hatch. And as far as scientists can tell, workers feed the young beetles as if they were ants. When the beetles grow into adults, the ants swarm around them, grooming their bodies. In exchange for this hospitality, the beetles sink their jaws into ant larvae and freshly molted adults in order to drink their bodily fluids. And uh, one uh, entomologist in Rome says, they're like vampires. You know, I, I read this and I thought, man, doesn't it sound just like me? You know, you just invite some counterfeit thing into your life, some materialistic idol that you, that you adore, and you bring it in. It wants to destroy you, but you, you groom it, and it, it makes symbols that, uh, that kind of connect with you, and you kind of like it, and, and you, you groom the thing, and you groom the thing, but it's a parasite. You know, that's what sin is. It's a parasite. It's a leech on what is already good. It comes in from the outside, and it wants to corrupt the good, take over the good, usurp the good. That's what we do with sin. Um, it's how a person enters into an affair. That's how they do it. They, 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 let, a, they let a foreign enemy in and they start to go, hmm, well, I don't know, uh, signs and hmm, they groom it and nurture it. And, and why, why wouldn't you think that that would get out of control? It's, it makes people fall away from the faith. You ever seen anybody fall away from the Christian faith? I have. A number of people. You ever seen people 
who were engaged in church life, and um, they were on youth trips, and they volunteered, and they took care, and, and they made sure their kids were here, and then they pay for their kids, and their kids are out of college, and then the grandchildren come, and then a second place that they can go to comes, and all of a sudden they start to disappear, and they're 64 years old, and they're out of fellowship with the church entirely. You ever know anybody like that? I have lots of people. How does that happen? All of a sudden, the materialistic stuff has crept back in. It is the earthly kingdom pawing at you, trying to get you uh, to, to groom it and to love it. Um, how do people make little gods out of things? Um, you know, rather than fight sin for our very lives, rather we make a little pet out of it and we care for it and we groom it uh, and, and so on. And in the end, it sucks out the life. Um, um, they are materialistic notions that miss the point of living. Um, so I close with this. If you're a person who is new to this Savior or has never really known this Savior or never really has known if you're secure, if you are one of the ones who has eternal life or you're one of the ones who is perishing, if you don't know, let me tell you, come to the Savior and believe. He died on a cross not just as an example He died on a cross not just because it was sad. He died on a cross not just because a political rally got out of control. No, no. He died on a cross because he came to earth to die, to die for the sinner's sins so that God in heaven can take the gavel of justice in his holy courtroom and go, bang, innocent, forgiven. Sin's been paid for because somebody else paid for it. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And if you want to become a Christian, Take the nesty plunge and fall back into the arms of, of God in faith. And if you're a Christian and you're wrestling your way through this often rugged Christian life, let, let me just tell you, let, let the folly fall away and pray that it might too. Um, Jesus came to set up a spiritual kingdom with spiritual values and spiritual attitudes and spiritual helps and things that are spiritually meaningful because that's, that's, that's the, that's, that is what living is. We, we are human beings. We have a body and a soul, and Christ has come to redeem all things. So um, embrace the Savior this hour. We need him every hour. Um, take, take, a, take a trust fall into the Savior's arms uh, each day. Let's pray. Uh, righteous Father, we bow before you and we remember who you are and uh, we remember that we often think wrong thoughts about you. Your, your word tells us that you are holy, holy, holy and that the sinless beings that surround you in heaven say that. They, they see you and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, might we do that too, Lord? Might we see what, what this great reality is in you? And we might, might we see our situation uh, compared to you, how we need a Savior, not just for a, a, a one-time transaction, but every hour as we live this Christian life. So bless us, God. Bless us. Uh, pour out your goodness on us. Give us what's best for us, and give us the grace to receive that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.